Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Andy and welcome to your recap show. What a Saturday this was. Just incredible drama out in Seattle and in Columbia, South Carolina, and some in Knoxville. Even a little in Tuscaloosa, I guess. Wasn't supposed to be, but there was there was, there was more than, than people bargained for. And then no drama at all in South Bend, which I think probably the worst thing that could have happened to Lincoln Riley and USC. We're going to talk about it all. We're going to go in chronological order. The early part of the day, there was not a lot going on in terms of marquee matchups. As I mentioned, Alabama and Arkansas made things a little bit interesting. Georgia and Vanderbilt, Georgia did some sleepwalking. Rock Bowers hurt his ankle, but they say his vexers are negative. So hopefully he will be fine for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party in a couple of weeks. But we'll start with those afternoon games. Washington, Oregon was everything it was promised and more. It was a spectacular game, left us with a lot of questions because Dan Lanning going for it on four particular fourth downs, no, three particular fourth downs, well, had us wondering, did that cost Oregon the game? Michael Penix Jr. was astounding. The touchdown passing through to Roman Dunze to win the game was absolutely beautiful. I, I know he throws the prettiest ball in America, but it was just watching that against a defense that has been very good and put more pressure on him than any other defense had was a whole lot of fun. Plus, you had Tennessee surviving Texas A&M. You had a crazy comeback in the Florida-South Carolina game. You had Iowa and Wisconsin in their annual rock fight with probably the Big Ten West title hanging in the balance. And the drive for 325 not going well, but everything else going pretty good for Iowa. Here's me and Jesse Simonson talking about all those games. We have just watched a classic in Seattle. They will be sleepless in Seattle because <laughs> they're going to be partying all night. Washington 36, Oregon 33, Jesse Simonson. We have to talk about fourth down. Go for it. I, I had no problem with any of the decisions. Sands the one at the end of the first half. Ah, there and it I is. think I, the only reason why I, I quibble with that one in particular is that Dan Lanning's aggressiveness was not going to have a payoff, even if they didn't get a conversion because there was so little time mm -hmm. left. It, you weren't going to put, put Washington back where you were going to get a dividend if you then got to stop, I take the points there. You go into halftime knowing you got the ball to come out of the second half. Other than that, you know, the kids love it. I think recruits love it. And so that's why, you know, Lanning, he practices what he preaches. He says, I'm going to be aggressive. Let's be aggressive. 
the only one I had a quibble with was that one right before halftime. And and that's it. We have to view them all differently because the second exactly. one, which was the goal line, you know, they they give it to him on the goal line essentially, and Washington can't get out of there. Washington gives it to Oregon in bad field in, in great field position for Oregon, and they go score. So that one was a good call. And the one at the end, you know what? When you're playing as Michael Penix, what was your net yardage going to be on that punt? He can make that up very quickly. So I, I don't have a problem with anyone except, like you said, the one before the half, because that would have caused a very different math at the end. I, you know, we don't know if it would have worked out the same way, but let's say they had kicked that field goal and then Michael Penix Jr. throws that touchdown pass to Roma Dunes. And now you've got to figure out, do you go for two to try to win it or do you kick a field goal and then Oregon's going to have time to go down the field and maybe kick a game-winning field goal at that point. Yeah, and, and that's why con you said it. Context matters, and that's why it's tough that you know you lose a game by three points, uh, uh, just a thriller, uh, and you get no points. Both final drive of the second half when you have the ball, first drive, uh, or the final drive of the first pass. Excuse me, first drive of the third quarter coming up empty. There is tough. I agree wholeheartedly with the decision to keep the ball in Bo Nix's hands. It did mm -hmm. not work out, but you know, he's your best player. And even though Oregon's defensive line played much, much better in the second half, you keep the ball in the hands of your best player. You get a first down there. The game's probably over uh, or close to it because of the timeout situation that the Huskies did not have. So, I mean, Michael Penix, Andy, the dude is just a maestro. Incredible. He, he, he was just, I mean, he, he the way he can spin it was is is obviously just super impressive. But his calmness in the pocket—I mean, he was getting hounded there in the second half and just taking some shots. And he just got up and was like, "Oh no, I don't even have Jalen McMillan today. I'm just going to throw it to Polk. You know, I'm going to find a Dunze on just some ridiculous throws. You know, from the first drive on, basically till the end of the game." They, they did some different things with the Andy. The schematically, those bunch formations, whether they either had three receivers, you know, to one side or two receivers, uh, you know, bunched up together, that those that particular formation seemed to give Oregon's defense a lot of problems. Yeah, and, and Giles Jackson, by the way, coming in and, and showing yes, this. They got up. yet another target. But that was – it was as fun as it gets – the thing about Lanning's aggressiveness, if there's a round two in Vegas, I wanted to be just like that. Because I feel like those are the sort of things that average out over time. And it, 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 if you keep doing that, then it probably works. Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting because the math did not work out for him a year ago, uh, you know, in this scenario. When he, when he was hyper aggressive, mm. you know, he came up empty multiple times that the team ultimately fell short in a similar situation in, in these games where it's a one score game at the end. So I, I think there's a balance there. You know, it, it certainly plays to the audience. You, you have long, you know, been the Pied Piper that college football is an entertainment sport. Mm -hmm. uh, and Lanning certainly leans into that, you know, both with his kind of bravado, with his confidence um, and, and with his coaching style. And so, you know, he put it in the players' hands, and, and they came up short. Now it's going to be up to them, you know, to make sure that this doesn't become another loss. Because for there to be a rematch, 
you know, <laughs> there's, this I mean, is the tricky you, part. Yeah. I mean, this schedule is, is just, it, it's galling. It's going to be a gauntlet. And, you know, Utah had a big win today. At some point they're going to get Cam Rising back. At some point they're going to get their quarterback back. Are you sure about that? I, I maybe not, but they went back to the other kid, you know, today, and they 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 beat up on a on a decent Cal team pretty easily. And so when you talk Utah, Oregon State, Washington State, we'll see what happens to USC later tonight. Oregon's gonna have to take care of business to make this thing a rematch here in in, in Vegas in a couple months. Well, and hopefully Michael Penix is okay because he was getting pounded pretty good at the end of the game. Now Washington has Oregon and Washington's paths are set up a little differently. They both have the same set of four really good teams that could beat them along the way. It's USC, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State, but they're arranged differently. Washington gets Arizona State and Stanford the next two games, and then they have the gauntlet. So the question is, can, can Penix get healthy and be ready for that? Because that is going to be a very tough stretch for Washington. Meanwhile, Oregon... They're going right into this. They got, they got Washington State next week. I mean, it does not get easier for them. So, you're, like you said, don't let one loss become two. But I, I think the way Oregon played, I, I think you come out of that. And here's where the going forward on fourth down, I think, psychologically makes this an easier loss to take. You left it all out there. You did everything you could. You You had the ball in your hands. You had a chance to put the game away. You didn't do it, but it wasn't because you can't. It wasn't because you couldn't make those plays. So, because you made those plays at different points in the game. So, I think if I'm Oregon, I come out of this as confident as I was going into this. I'm not, I don't lose anything mentally by losing this game. Now, you've lost your margin for error. There is no more margin for error for Oregon, but that you knew that was going to happen. You knew whoever lost this is going to have to run the gauntlet. How about Vegas again, man? Three point spread, just nailing it, just nailing Unbelievable. it. Unbelievable! You know, a year ago, a year ago at this time, it was about this time, but a year ago at this time, a lot of folks in our industry were making, I thought, prematurely, 2019 LSU comparisons with Tennessee. Mm -hmm. I think this Washington team is much closer to resembling that squad than Tennessee. They don't have – LSU still had some defensive pieces that ultimately went in the NFL draft. But Braylon Trice and some other guys, you know, they came up with some key stops uh, both on fourth down and then, you know, in that uh, two of the other drives there. You know, when you coupled with just the receiving talent that they have, the, the, the offensive line held up better today overall than I thought. You know, the Oregon was the team that came into this game, Andy – Top 10 on offense, mm -hmm. top 10 on defense. And and Penix, you know, there, there was a little bit of a lull there, you know, mid-third quarter, early fourth quarter. But other than that, that, that offense just was humming. Do we think this is going to happen again? Do we think we will see this game again in Las Vegas? I, my, I lean no. And I was someone that I picked Oregon to win this game, and I picked Oregon to, to win the Pac-12. I just I, – I don't know that they – they can go unscathed from from here on out, and I think now Washington has a mulligan where right. they are in the in the catbird seat to get there. Well, I mean, what do you think? I I don't I I think Oregon can pull this off. I think they can run the gauntlet, but it, they will have to be close to perfect to to make it happen. Because again, it is 
a lot of losable games in a tight, compact space. I mean, the four of their four of their remaining games are are losable, and that just, I mean, you as you get into the season, you get injuries. It's it's very hard to stay on that sharp of an edge for that long. The spoiler in all this too could be UCLA. Now we'll see what happens with them tonight, but I think you know the fact that the Bruins have. Uh, uh, you know, the number one defense in the country right now, they're number three, uh, nationally in stop rate. You know, if it's, it's they have a freshman quarterback. And so I don't think right. that, that UCLA can get to the PAC 12 championship game. They already have a loss to Utah, but I think that they're going to play spoiler in some of these situations because I don't think Oregon has to play UCLA, but you know, USC does. Well, ne- um, neither Oregon nor Washington has to play UCLA, which is, which is what makes it interesting because if UCLA right. could beat Oregon State this week and SC near the end of the season, all their other games are pretty winnable. Now, Colorado could be tough. Stanford, Stanford, if they're the second half of the Colorado game, Stanford, then maybe they're they're going to be tough. But that's the other issue is if UCLA wins out, there's no tiebreaker there. There's no head-to-head. Well, which 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 is the irony of all this is that we're talking about all these teams and it's going to end up being Utah playing Washington in the back 12 Jamie. Somehow Utah is just going to get there, you know, for the third straight year. It would well, be amazing. Maybe Cam Rising's back by then, but wow. I just that was incredible. That was like everything I wanted in that game. Especially after great. the dud of the first slate I mean, the uh, the noon slate I mean, was terrible. No, it was it was set up as a dud. It actually turned out okay because Alabama, Arkansas had some drama, and then In Rutgers, the Michigan quarter. State had some drama. So it wasn't that bad. But the the afternoon was just tremendous. Let's let us move to another afternoon game: Texas A and M, Tennessee. Tennessee survives twenty to thirteen. This is one where I think. Jimbo Fisher and company are going to look back and say our offensive line was the problem here. We would have won this game if not for our offensive line, because that what they probably win this game. Like, I don't know, something like 17 to, to 10. If, if they have better blocking, if the ball's not getting snapped at, at Max Johnson's feet, every other play, if there's not somebody in his face, every play like that was, that was a problem. This game, Andy was the, 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 we have a couple of these every year, but I like to call these sorts of games like the derp fest. Yes. Because these two teams, I mean, it was just, they're just throwing up all over themselves. Let me read you these stats. Texas A&M, 11 penalties for 90 yards. Tennessee, Mm -hmm. 12 penalties for 115 yards. You could argue that the officials probably left another. They missed a few. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Pass interference plays on the field. So we're talking, I mean, that's 200-something yards and penalties. You got four turnovers in this game. Joe Milton was abysmal. You know, he was just terrible. He gets up and he, he runs over a guy for a big run uh, in the second half and immediately throws an interception in the end zone after talking smack on the very next play. I, I think you're right. If AM's offensive line could do anything. If it had an uh, the, average the Aggie, game, they win. Yes. The Aggies were the more talented team in this game. This is the first time Tennessee's uh, won a game under Heupel. They're now one and seven when they haven't scored thirty points. Um, so you know they held on, but it was 
again, I mean, Jimbo, for the second straight game, Andy, we literally complained about this crap a week ago, and he doubled down again in classic Jimbo Fisher style. They're up by a short score late in the first half. He's got two timeouts. He forces Tennessee deep into uh, to punt position, and he just lets them bleed the clock instead of burning a timeout and trying to get a, a, a you know another field goal going into halftime. It's just it's on. It's just remarkable how you know he, he coaching not to lose. Well, and and it's exactly what we were saying. Dan Lanning doesn't do. Exactly. And I have more faith in Dan Lanning going forward. Now we had Casey. Casey Smith on the show last week, and and it was interesting to hear it from an A and M grad because, you know, when you you're see not what she as tweeted, close, uh, I didn't see what did she tweet instead. She, how can she be more done with Jimbo than she was? She is she offering buyout money now? Uh, she did not offer buyout money, but she did. She tweeted that in all, I think it was in all caps. Jimbo Fisher's got to go. Well, and and that's what I wonder is how much of the A and M fan base feels that way right now because. They're going to be better than they were last year. They will. They're going to make a bowl. It will be better than last year. But it, it, as Casey put it, and this is where I, I found it interesting to hear from somebody that close to it. Her thing was, this isn't what A&M is paying for. This is year six. At some point, you have to get what you're paying for. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. Because it, it's sort of like, you know, you and I, where we went to school, Two years ago, everybody's like, "How? Why, why would Florida fire Dan Mullen?" And people who understand the, the how that athletic department works and everything, like, no, they're definitely going to fire him. Like that's how it goes. The question with with Texas A and M is, can you raise seventy six million dollars? Would you do that? Yeah, well, I mean, we both. It's let me know what the price of oil is on Thanksgiving, and I think we'll have our answer. <laughs> I mean, it, I think I've, I, that's been that's been my go-to line, and I, and I'm going to stick with it because you're right; they're going to be better than they were a year ago. It's hard to be with that much talent to go five and seven. Uh, so if you go six and six or seven and five, that does not inspire a lot of confidence. Um, one of the saving graces for Jimbo may not not may not only be this seventy-six million dollar parachute, but Andy, I I'm not sure there is the we know exactly this is Urban Meyer, and I'm not mm. not linking Urban Meyer to this job, but Urban Meyer, a la when he was the candidate, you know, for Notre Dame in Florida, for a program like Texas A&M, you know, with the amount of cachet and money and the opportunity there is, I don't know that there's like a obvious candidate for that gig, and that Mike could Elko. that could, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I that, mean, but that's you, that's would, hard to sell to the average fan. Right. Because everybody, everybody knows how good, like people who really follow college football understand how good Mike Elko has been at Duke, but that's not, that's hard to sell when you're, when you're talking about these numbers. So again, I, it's an impossible situation because it's so much money, but at some point you have to say, is he ever going to get us there? And I think that's the question they're asking. Yeah. I mean, it, to put it in perspective, Andy, and I know you know this, but just for our viewers, that's seventy-six million. The most expensive buyout to date is the Gus Malzahn mm -hmm. contract, which was around 20, 20, 25, 21, 20. Something like that. 20.5. So you're talking almost four times that buyout, which is just that's why it's such a historical anomaly. 
you know, if, if the Aggies do come up, if they do pass the hat and, you know, a couple old, old, you know, old Barons come around and say, all right, let's, let's, let's get those cowboy boots out of here and get a fresh set of fresh set of ones in here. It is, it is amazing. I, that somebody's even pondering this. And I do think they're from talking to people, they're not, not people in our business, but people who are on the ground in college station who work you know, within that athletic department. It is something they would consider. I don't know if it's something they would do, but it is something they would consider if the wheels fall off. And honestly, if the, if the O-line plays like it did against Tennessee for the rest of the season, the wheels might fall off because they, they, they could lose to Ole Miss. They could lose to LSU. So, I mean, that, that puts them at five losses at that point. Is seven and five what you, what you want? Is that enough? Is that good enough? With, with zero 10-win seasons, Andy? And if you, if you lose to South Carolina or, or Mississippi State, which I can't imagine. But, well, let's talk about South Carolina and let's talk about Florida because that game was something. It was fun. Yeah, it was a it felt like a last team with the ball wins kind of situation. Neither defense really covering itself in glory. But how about Graham Mertz on fourth and ten? Last chance, game's over if you miss this thing, completes it over the middle, and then throws a touchdown pass to Ricky Pearsall, and Florida escapes. And by the way, that end of game scenario. I'm sorry about all the Mario Cristobal jokes. I know I wasn't the only one squeezing them off, but it was a very strange scenario because it was like Florida got the ball with, what, 29 seconds left, but South Carolina had three timeouts. I think so it was actually should... 20 seconds. It was 20. All right, 20 it, seconds. It was yeah. 20 because they, the first kneel down took one second off the clock. Yes. And then, yes. And then Billy was like, then Billy Napier was like, all right, Graham, go back there, but run around a little bit a couple times. Yeah. It was it was incredible. It was it was something to watch, but that was the performance they needed, and it tells you just sort of, sort of how thin the margins are, because if Graham Mertz does not complete that fourth down pass, we are talking about how well. Oh, what happens to Billy Napier now? Now, granted, they're not doing anything to Billy Napier because of that buyout, but his life is made considerably easier because that pass is caught. Oh, I, I, and I let me. T I th so fourth and eleven before that play might have been as impressive. It was not as good of a throw, but the the catch that Ricky Pearsall made to adjust uh, to that completion, you know, earlier in the drive was a huge play. They also got the one ball that went off of Pearsall's hands into uh, Wilson's hands off a tip, you know, to set up the the, the touchdown, which was a, a crazy play. Mertz has been awesome the last two weeks. So this was a career game, 423 yards, three touchdowns. But I think from a macro perspective, Andy, my biggest takeaway is how important this is for Florida, that if you look at the rest of their schedule, this is they bowl needed this, is this win. Yeah. They needed this win if they wanted to get to bowl eligibility. Now you could just have to find one win against number one, Georgia, number 22, LSU, number four, Florida State, you got a road trip to Missouri, and then Arkansas, Arkansas sprinkled yeah. in there. You get you you win one game, you get to a bowl game, and that is going to be so important for this football team because there was the note earlier this week by ESPN Stats Info they have played more freshmen than any team in the country. Yeah, you need bowl practice. What, you need those fifteen practices. Yeah. And, and if you didn't get this one, it was going to be tough. 
On the flip side, I thought South Carolina was in for a regression season. They could be in, be in time for a very long season. I don't know about, you know, Cocktober this, this year. Yeah, they need both teams needed this one so badly. And again, that's how thin the margins are. Not just in the SEC, but everywhere. It 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 can turn just like that. So Shane Beamer is getting crushed by his fan base right now. How could you lose that game? How could you you score, you know, 39 points and lose? It's and Billy Napier, he gets to breathe for two more weeks because then they're they're off. And then they play Georgia, and of course everybody's going to crush him after Georgia. But that you, you you expected that. What I thought was interesting was how aggressive Florida was in terms of play calling, and and it's not anybody different. It's still Billy Napier, but he was a lot more aggressive than he has been. Yeah, I mean he 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 let Graham Mertz take some vertical shots, and that's not something we've seen. Uh, a whole I think lot they, of, they, if I think at they all. had to because the defense was getting torched. I think that was one of those and where you, you come out there and see that Spencer Rattler is just carving you up, and you're like, okay, there's no choice. The only way to win this game is is take some shots. Well, and credit and credit to Billy that he he identified fairly early on in that game that their best matchup was Pearsall versus Nick Imari uh, Imari, yeah, uh, for, for South Carolina. And that guy's a pretty good corner. But he 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 is no, big he's a and safety. physical. But he he's a safety. Yeah, exactly. that's, he's the, a safety. that's the yeah, problem. I was gonna say, he's big and physical. Uh, so I should say he's a pretty good defensive back. But he's big yeah. and physical. But he could not match up with Pearsall's route running. And so yeah. Ricky was just kind of you know finding uh, openings. And to Billy's credit, they just went time and time and again back to that well, uh, and it paid off. I mean, they were down by ten points in the fourth quarter. They got the big rally. Uh, so big win for the Gators, much needed for certain. Now let's talk about Graham Mertz's old school. The under Yikes. hits in the Iowa game again. They couldn't get the, they couldn't push the Without total a doubt. low enough. They couldn't Never push it low enough. It was, it was 36 and a half when it opened. I think it went off at like 32 <laughs> and 15 to six Iowa wins. They get a, they get a breakaway touchdown that, that really just put the game away. But have, have you ever seen a team put together 15 points this way? Touchdown, field goal, field goal, safety. Second second straight week, they almost had no completions to a wide receiver, but they got they got two passes for six or for 13 yards in there to one. Deacon Hill uh was Absolute six of unit. 14. Six of 14. 2.6 yards per attempt, Andy, for 37 yards. Oh, my God. And you oh, win, watching, by, more watching than, Brian you win by more than 10 points. Watching Brian Ferrett. You almost went by more than 10 yeah. points. Excuse me. Yeah, watching Brian Ferrett celebrate was amazing because you're 10 more points off the pace for the drive for 325. But, of course, he's not going to get fired because they are going to win the Big Ten West. They're going to win the Big Ten. Yeah, it's 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 a – it's – Unbelievable. The, the other unbelievable thing was that uh, earlier this week, I don't know if you saw, Kurt Ferentz got asked about using uh, our boy Cooper DeGene on offense. Oh, And he was like, he's like, oh, we've been practicing with that. You know, he's a former high school quarterback that transitioned. You know, we've been doing some stuff Oh God! in a game that you can barely muster 200 something yards. You still don't let Cooper DeGene touch the football. Why would but you? But you win. What? 
Once but Tanner you win, Mordecai, and so Kirk's t- like, yeah. Once Tanner Mordecai went down for Wisconsin, and Braden Lock came in, you didn't have to do anything else. Your defense was going to win the game for it. it. Was your defense and Tory Taylor punting were going to win the game? In fact, I believe once that happened, they may have out the, the defense may have outscored Wisconsin. Maybe not. Maybe Wisconsin kicked another field goal. So it might have been three two Wisconsin offense versus Iowa defense after that point. But it was as abysmal as you would imagine. It was as great as those other games were to watch, as beautiful as it was to watch Michael Penix throw to Roma Dunze, it was as hideous as you could imagine watching Iowa-Wisconsin. But I, like, how much is Iowa going to lose the Big Ten championship game by? So I I respond, you know, David Ubbin, your old colleague at The yeah. Athletic, had a tweet uh, that was like, you know, are we, we're sleeping, something to the effect, I don't remember the exact word, but something was sleeping to the effect sleeping on Iowa's playoff chances. And I was like, I mean, they're going to win the Big Ten West, but this is a worse Hawkeyes team yeah. that lost 42-3. to nothing to Penn State. We don't even know well, if Penn State is playoff caliber. We, we're not Well, sure. I was going to we'll say this is, a worse Hawkeye, this is a worse Hawkeyes team that lost 42-3 to to Michigan two years ago. Yeah, And the Wolverines are better. So they're going to get to Indianapolis, and it's going to be a splattering. It is – but it doesn't matter because they're going to get there. You know what they're not going to get to? A 25 points per game average. But he's still keeping his job. Unbelievable. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. When night fell, it was time for Notre Dame and USC to renew their annual rivalry. And holy cow, did Notre Dame absolutely expose USC. USC had not been playing well the past few weeks, but they had been skating by. That ended on Saturday. Horrible game for Caleb Williams, and Notre Dame's defense made sure that that he paid for every mistake he made. Notre Dame's offense also made sure he paid for every mistake he made because they cashed in all his interceptions for touchdowns. It was a thorough, thorough beating. Meanwhile, in Chapel Hill, a big game for North Carolina. Tez Walker... Recently ruled eligible by the NCAA. This is the first week he really could have a full week of practice. He was awesome. The Tar Heels rolled. Fun game in Lexington between Missouri and Kentucky. Not so much fun for the Wildcats once Missouri really got rolling. But the play that turned it was pretty awesome. And then out west, Arizona has been playing well enough to win but couldn't. Left no doubt on Saturday night in the Palouse. And Oregon State knocked off UCLA. Whole lot to talk about from the night games. Here are me and Jesse. We have just won. USC get exposed. <laughs> Jesse Simonton, we knew this was going to happen. We didn't know exactly when it was going to happen, but we knew when it was going, or we knew it was going to happen. Uh, I don't think I had thought it would happen with Caleb Williams throwing three first half interceptions that all got cashed into touchdowns. I 
I was thinking more Audric Estime just slowly demolishing the USC defense play after play after play, but that's not exactly how it happened. You know, this was a line of scrimmage game. That's what it was. It was, you know, Notre Dame's line of scrimmage. Uh, They punished USC's offensive line. And, you know, they forced the turnovers. They got the short fields. Sam Hartman and that offense was able to get, you know, uh, enough to, you know, I I, I don't really know if if they've really found any answers offensively, but they were able to get enough against an Irish or against the Trojans defense that, you know, wasn't going to be able to come up with a stop. Cam, we, we said it earlier this week. Could Caleb Williams continue to be Superman for the Trojans? He wasn't tonight, and we saw the result. No, and, and we said this last week. We said this after the Arizona game that if he can't be Superman every single time, they're going to lose, and he had a terrible game, and they lost. He did. I mean, five turnovers in this game. And then when you compound the fact that every time they were able to actually come up with an answer offensively, they got it. They got a score. Notre Dame immediately answered. They either came back with an offensive touchdown or when USC had the, uh, the touchdown in the second half, what happened? 99 yard kickoff return. Boom. The game's still over. Yeah. And that's the thing. Cause like, it's interesting because the Zachariah branch, punt return sets up a USC touchdown and you're like, Oh, big special teams play. All right. USC is going to maybe come back the ensuing kickoff. Yeah. Jadarian price returns 99 yards for a TD. Again, tackling is optional uh, with the Trojans. I mean, that, that has been the case. And this was, you know, the irony in this result, Andy, is that the defense wasn't the, you know, a one problem for the Trojans. And yet we saw multiple times tackling the 46 yard touchdown catch and run pass that Sam Hartman had uh, mm-hmm. the 99 yard kickoff return. The fundamentals still just aren't there. And so, you know, this is, you know, a week after Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, multiple defensive players all came to the backing of Alex Grinch again. I, I, my case remains, this is an unserious team. They are an unserious, not only national championship, but unserious PAC 12 championship contender. I think the Trojans are going to lose two or three games in the regular season. There's no, this team won't beat Washington or, or Oregon and probably not Utah playing like this. No, no, not, not with, not, not like, especially because you know, what had been masked, I, I think, a little bit. And and you're, again, I'll shout out your uh, former colleague, Antonio uh, Morales, at, at The oh, Athletic. Yeah. He's, you know, the beat writer there for the Trojans. He's written about this. Others close to the program, I think, have been less uh, inclined to lean in because it's not like the, the narrative, I think, that other folks want to, to kind of acknowledge. But their offensive line has been not very good this year. No, it's, it's funny because I, 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 he's been awesome out of structure. But right. When he has been asked to do just like, let's just drop back and, you know, throw the pill or do whatever, it hadn't been there. It, it, yeah. And he's been under siege. And tonight we saw what happened when he couldn't again be Clark. Kent. He turned into Clark Kent. Well, shout out to the the couple of USC fans who spent all summer telling me that their offensive line was going to be amazing on Twitter. Uh, 
Like they would not let it go. Every time something happened, they would they would be like, "You, uh, you were wrong about them. They're good. You're wrong about them. like no, they're not that good. They're fine. They're an okay offensive line, but yeah. they're not a national championship." Lincoln Riley teams to this point do not play on the line of scrimmage the way one must play to win the national title on either side. And at this point, they don't play well enough to win the Pac-12 title. They did. They, he he had, he had offensive lines with beating ball at Oklahoma to win the Big Twelve. Right. He doesn't have he doesn't have that. But, at, but at, then they'd at, get to the playoff and they'd see what the lines exactly. have to look like to win the national title, and they theirs don't look like that. So Precisely. that's that's the thing. They're going into a league where you have to be even better on the offensive line than you have to be in this pretty good Pac-12. Like, this is a really good Pac-12. They're not good enough to win it. Next year, they're going to be in a league with Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, and Oregon and Washington. They're not going to be good enough to win it unless they get significantly better on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and they're going to be playing more teams like Notre Dame, which, again, they Notre Dame didn't do anything spectacular. Tonight. Right, Notre, and Notre Dame's still on their schedule, by the way. Oh, yeah, and Notre Dame's still on their schedule. But uh, but my point is, is that the Irish didn't do anything spectacular tonight offensively, mm-hmm. and yet they hung 48. And now imagine USC doing this plus paying, playing this Big Ten schedule. And Caleb know. Williams is a, is a Chicago Bear. Yeah. Yeah. It, and you have yeah, transfer he, quarterback X. The, the, the threat, by the way, the threat of Caleb Williams to come back to school falls a little flat if he's got to play behind that same line next year against Ohio State's defense or Michigan's defense or, you know, Penn State's. I, I'm blanking on who they actually play next Also year, but, unserious is Caleb Williams' yeah. threat. Right. Well, I think that was more about the Cardinals, which I kind of understand. But the Cardinals aren't going to get the number one pick. Uh, Corey Bryan in the chat asks, or I don't know if this is a statement or a question. There's no question mark, so I'm assuming it's a statement. Irish still have a playoff chance. No, they do not. They lost to a team that lost to Pittsburgh. They don't have a playoff chance. But if this were next year, yeah, they'd be very much alive. And you know who else would be? Who's that? Iowa. That's exactly No, they wouldn't. You stop that right now. Because <laughs> there will be a game called the Big Ten Championship game, and that, that'll take care of all that. But yeah, that teams, was, Andy. That's a lot of teams. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You know what Iowa doesn't get to play next year? A Big Ten West schedule. Yeah. And you know what Jeff Rom just screwed up? A schedule that didn't include UNC, Florida State, and Clemson. Yeah. It's his part. He wasn't supposed to go undefeated this year. Come on. I Jesse. know, but that was that's an egg. Well, let, let let us talk Notre Dame because this is a program that needed a win like this. Marcus Freeman needed a win like this after what happened against Ohio State because they, they had that game. They should have won that game against Ohio State. They did not. Marcus Freeman needed this big home rousing victory to say, hey, look, it hasn't gone exactly according to plan, but I am the guy to do this job. Because if let's be real, Jesse, if USC had gone in there and and blown away Notre Dame, we would be asking some very serious questions about Marcus Freeman right now. We're not, and I don't think we're gonna be because no, I think you're right. They and they got also- through the, the the grind. 
No, you're right. And this and it was a grind. I mean, you're talking four consecutive primetime games where all eyes are on you. Again, back to back to back to back. You are the centerpiece of that 7.30 p.m. slate on the college football calendar. And you come up two and two. That's not ideal, but you did. You, you took care of business against a UNC team that, again, you were favored. And, and the metrics all said you should beat the, the, the Trojans. And not only did you beat them, you handled them you know, convincingly. And so I think this does kind of spearhead, you know, the Irish towards potentially a 10 and two season. I mean, I think they're probably, if they play like they did tonight, they're better than Clemson, Mm -hmm. which means you probably run the slate the rest of the way. You go to a new year's six bowl, you continue to build on a recruiting class and you say, Hey, year three, we're going to be a little more comfortable. You know, you're bringing in a top flight, uh, five-star quarterback, that spurned Michigan, you know, that's coming, that's coming to you. Uh, let, let's see what happens. Yeah. I, I definitely think this is a, a good feelings win for Notre Dame makes everything better the rest of the way, just makes it a lot easier. And I think right now that's what they needed. They, they needed to stabilize that situation because I, I do think he's going to be able to get better talent in there. I think they're serious about NIL. You saw that with getting Sam Hartman this year. They can be a year-in, year-out playoff team in that 12-team playoff. Oh, it yeah. is a, it, it, this, this whole new system is really set up for them to succeed. Well, and to the, to the, to the viewer's question there, if – you know, I I don't know. You know, everyone has said we're set up for this chaos season. Well, we haven't seen that. There, there's been a lot of close calls and what, what have you, but we haven't had the upsets of 2007 to actually set up this chaos season. Yeah. But we- if Notre Dame was playing in a conference and they had a conference championship game and they had these two losses, then maybe, maybe, maybe you maybe with a long maybe. You could see a path towards finding a way into the playoff, but at w- without playing in a conference, they 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 have no, no. shot. No, they, they they don't. But that's okay. This yeah. is going to be fine. They're going to wind up in the in the Cotton Bowl or the Peach Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl, and they're gonna they're gonna have a happy season. If especially if they can win that game, like Notre Dame's had trouble winning that kind of game of late. Like if they could just go through and win that game, then they will be rolling into a system that that is built for them, custom-made for them, almost as if their AD was involved in its creation. Oh, wait, he was. So the only one that doesn't isn't part of a member conference. What what, what would you know? Exactly. Let us move on to the ACC, the conference that Notre Dame is. This is is what we got to talk about. Is affiliated with. Yeah. Miami got the full Tez Walker experience. If you were wondering why North Carolina was so hell-bent on Tez Walker getting eligible, you saw it tonight. He's awesome. Three touchdowns in his first start. Remember, he did play last week against Syracuse, but they they named, they named deemed him eligible on Thursday. He finds out on Thursday. Game plan's already done. The hay's in the barn, relatively speaking, in terms of practice. So you're not really going to be much of that, you know, a big part of that game plan, even though he did wind up catching some passes. He was targeted. I think on on six different passes. It had damn but, close to eighty yards. Yeah, but 
Now you see what, what happens when he works with the ones all week. Holy crap. He, he, he becomes Drake May's go-to guy. Suddenly he's looking like A.J. Green out there. Um, I mean, th this was about the third quarter. The, the response that the Tar Heels had, you know, to blank the Hurricanes 21-zip coming out of halftime, yeah. uh, this was a very, very impressive showing by North Carolina. I mean, I think this cements them as I, – I don't know if they're equal because I do think, you know, we saw what Keon Coleman did uh, and and Florida State does have, I think, maybe a higher ceiling. But North Carolina looks like they're a legitimate ACC contender. North, North Carolina is a, a complete team. Like that they are. is so much better. Cayman Rucker, who came on the show this week. Guys, if you have not watched the interview with Cayman Rucker – Click, go to YouTube, just Google Cayman Rucker, Andy Staples. Watch that interview. You're going to love that guy. And he was, oh, he had three sacks. No, like, outside of Terry and Arnold, he's been one of your best. He's been one of your best oh, guests well, this season. Hard, hard to beat Terry on Arnold, but yeah, he was, he was incredible. And I think, you know, them getting better on defense is what's unlocking all this other stuff because you know, Drake May doesn't have to do everything for this team, although I think tonight was a good showcase for what Drake May can do. People got a chance to watch him, and if you if you had the multi-box on YouTube TV, you could watch him right next to Caleb Williams. And you were you're now you probably understand why those NFL scouts are like, eh, it's not that big of a gap between the two of them. Well, yeah, and you, I mean, you talk about some dramatic Heisman Trophy odds that shifted in real time tonight, Andy, with what Caleb was doing, with what Michael Penix did. Yeah. And then with what Drake May was doing at the same time with what was happening with Caleb Williams, those odds were going all over the place. Caleb Williams went from the favorite to like 50 to one. Yeah. By the end of the night here. And, and I'm, I'm assuming Penix is the, is the favorite right now and, and will be he is, the next he is week the at favorite, least. But Drake May climbed up. Jalen Daniels, LSU, we'll probably touch on them. Yeah, Jalen Daniels five, was, was Jay good Daniels again. 500-yard performance. But this was, to, to North Carolina, I mean, this was a spot. I, I, I was dead wrong about this game. I, I I picked Miami plus three and a half. I thought they would bounce back, respond to, to kind of Mario's uh, you know, malpractice a week ago, and they were up. I mean, they 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 played well in the first half, and then they just came out and got spanked. You know, coming out of halftime, and that proved to be you know the difference. Tyler Van Dyke was not very good. He got harassed into multiple bad interceptions. Again, that defensive line, Rucker had multiple sacks. You know, they were they they showed their promise in Week One against South Carolina. With a, they, they beat the hell out of uh, Spencer Rattler, nine sacks in that game. They've kind of been up and down, you know, inconsistent a little bit, but they brought it tonight. And if they play like that the rest of the season, I mean, I think we're definitely looking like it's a, a North Carolina-Florida State showdown in the ACC championship game. William in the chat, do you think Clemson has a chance to beat UNC and Miami? Well, they're playing Miami next week. I definitely think they can beat Miami. UNC is a little bit tougher one, but that that game is at Clemson. And, you know, it's one of those deals where they have enough talent to have a puncher's chance. North Carolina is a better team than Clemson this year. North Carolina runs a more dynamic offense. 
They have more playmakers. They certainly have better receivers. They have a better quarterback. But again, Clemson has enough talent on the D-line, enough general talent on the roster to have a chance. And so that'll be that that's probably North Carolina's toughest challenge remaining on the schedule. And then Florida State has to play Miami, obviously. That's their toughest challenge. We didn't talk about the Florida State game earlier, but they they house Syracuse just like North Carolina did last week. And Florida State is just absolutely rolling right now. They are. They are. I mean, they 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 took care of business today. Uh, I would say don't sleep on Duke too, though, Andy. Yeah. You know, they were down oh, just Riley destroyed Leonard. NC State. Down Riley Leonard. And that was that was literally a it was a defensive performance. I mean, they could do nothing. Duke could really do nothing offensively. They only had 300 yards, but they had two ginormous explosive plays, a 56-yard touchdown pass from the backup, Henry Blivens. And then uh Waters had a 69-yard touchdown run. And then you get a couple takeaways, a bunch of sacks. They think they had five sacks in the game, and they helped MJ Morris to next to nothing. So you get Riley Leonard back. Duke's going to factor into the ACC equation because thus far their only loss is to Notre Dame. It's to Notre Dame, exactly right. So that'll be that's going to be a fun race to watch. The ACC is better at the top than we, than than we give it credit for. The Louisville thing, uh, we can talk about Louisville Pitt right now. This is one neither when we did the pick show, neither T Bob A Bear nor I was willing to pull the trigger on a pit upset. I took the but, points. I bet on it tonight. But we definitely, know. we definitely discussed this as a potential trap game. Uh, I don't get to make fun of Pitt's carafe of sadness anymore. Yeah. The, the 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 chalice. Yeah. The, the uh, chalice the chalice. The, receptacle, of the modest receptacle at the, the front of the football complex where people put their negative thoughts. Uh, we, we're calling it the carafe of sadness. It's now the carafe of happiness. That carafe will be filled with, uh, we'll probably filled with mimosas, but bottomless mimosas for, for Sunday brunch. Yeah, exactly. This, this was an, I mean, this was, I, I went on multiple radio shows this week, Andy, and I, and I was asked about Louisville because I wrote a piece about, oh, is the ACC potentially in store for a, a chaos season? And I offered my skepticism because while I had written in the preseason that I thought that Louisville was a dark horse contender because of its schedule, I just didn't trust Jack Plummer to like run the slate here. And lo and behold, he had his third game of multi-interceptions this season through two picks. One were from pick pick six. six. Yep. And, you know, they get blanketed in the second half, 24 zip, and you lose to a one and four pit team so now, christian Valu did not break 50 percent completion but he did throw for 200 yards which is which is an improvement yeah. over what they were getting so but, congrats to pitt yeah pat narduzzi does it again <laughs> well he did uncomplicate the race because this does now look like it's going to be a north carolina florida state affair we'll uh, and and uh, this doesn't necessarily give you confidence that louisville can run the table either uh, that they're going to they're going to face Duke in their next game. And then you know, they also have to play Miami. They also have to play Kentucky, which does not count for the ACC standings, but does count. So that'll be, uh, that'll be pretty interesting to see what, what Louisville does. But I, Florida State and North Carolina feel like they are on a collision course. As Matt said in the chat just a few minutes ago, that looks like potentially the most interesting conference title game. Although I, I will say if we get another edition of Oregon-Washington – or whatever the Pac-12 winds up giving us, 
I have a feeling it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think those are definitely the, the two uh, in the driver's seat for for the most interesting first week of December showdowns. Yeah, this is this this was a, a a night of very intriguing results. Let's let's go out west. Let's let's go to the Palouse where Arizona destroyed Washington State and Jed Fish's team had been Fish. really well, but had gotten had nothing to show for it. So they they hold you know. Seven point loss to Washington, which wasn't probably really that close, but nobody had hung with Washington at all at that point. They go triple overtime at USC. They they were due for a breakthrough, and boy, did they get one against a team that had been really good. Well, it turns out when you when you lose your YOLO quarterback and you just have a guy that doesn't turn the ball over back there behind center, mm-hmm. it seems to help a lot. And while Jalen Jalen Delora was fun, he was not. No, yeah, it. no, Noah Fafita is the guy. Yeah, he was not it for the Wildcats, and Noah Fafita has proven to be it. And you know that defense too. You know Jed Fish, they brought in a host of transfers: Bill Norton from Georgia, the uh, Justin Flo from Oregon, the five-star, uh, former five-star, a bunch of other guys. That defense has made a dramatic leap this uh season Andy and that has been that's is what that that's what kept them in the game against the Huskies and it's what I mean they completely stymied Cameron Ward and and the Washington State Cougars tonight 44 to 6 I mean that is an impressive showing that's why you know going out west everyone was penciling in all these wins for Deion Sanders in the yes. last two weeks and suddenly you you blow up against Stanford you have four other ranked teams. Not all those teams obviously will be ranked coming out of this weekend because of the results, but still better than better than probably Colorado. And folks were circling Arizona. Arizona is no gimme for no, any team. In and that's that's why Colorado blowing that lead against Stanford is so devastating for them because if they win that game, they're probably going to win another one somewhere in there. Right but now they got to win two with what they've got left, and that is going to be very difficult. And like you oh, said, yeah. Arizona was one of the ones that was a potential win there. If they're playing the way they're playing right now, Colorado's not beating them. No, definitely not. I mean, this, you, that's that is a to to go into Pullman and do that. That's a that's a, that's impressive. It is it is incredibly impressive, and in, and the way that Washington State was playing. So congrats to to Jed Fish and to Arizona. Let's go to the SEC, Jesse, with a game that was 14 to nothing. Kentucky's up 14 nothing on Missouri. Missouri's running out of options. It's looking bleak. And Eli Drinkwitz goes into the bag of tricks fake and punt. calls a fake punt and gets a touchdown pass, a 39-yard touchdown pass to Marquise Johnson from punter Luke Bauer. It was a dime. Razzle dazzle, baby. Eli, the dork lord, bringing it, bringing it up. I mean, that was, I don't know if you saw my tweet because there was a lot going on, but it was later, late, much later in this game that I tweeted that Devin Leary is both murdering Kentucky's season and my <laughs> and TV draft, draft against yeah. Andy Staples. Uh, because that's, I mean, the Tigers basically after that, they ran away with it. That their, their, their defense completely bottled up Kentucky. They started to to get after Ray Davis, who had had a big first two drives. Uh, Devin Leary was awful 
for the Wildcats through throwing multiple interceptions, multiple turnovers. You know, I mean, this was an impressive showing from, from Missouri's defense, really, because their offense, as prolific as it's been the last few weeks, Brady Cook, you know, wasn't, wasn't, you know, Luther Burden just had 15 yards, I think, in this game. It wasn't like yeah. uh, they were running, you know, it, it was interesting. You look, at, you look at their offensive stats and you're like, how did they do this? Because now some of it was turnover, short field kind of situations, um, the punter throwing a touchdown pass. But also, they did mount a few drives that were were fairly impressive. It's like it was like either three and out or a dry, or a touchdown right. drive. So they're not kind of nothing in between for Mizzou, but they've been very good. I mean, I don't know if they can go beat Georgia. Obviously, they gave last year's Georgia team its toughest challenge until Ohio State. But they certainly, I mean, they're they're bowl eligible. This is we were we were looking kind of side eyed at Eli Drinkwitz going into this season. Well, he got extended. It didn't seem like any, he was in any danger. And but now it was he's like, side-eyeing that, that Missouri IN, uh, you know, NLI and saying, let's, let's pay up and get oh, yeah. you know this five-star that, that's still out there, that receiver. We got him worry, the, the defensive tackle. Yeah, I mean, the Tigers are looking good. And this is this is a rough – speaking of looking bad, I mean, conversely – I, I agreed with you with, with what you said earlier this week on your show about Mark Stoops. Um, but this is coming off those comments about mm -hmm. his own roster. Uh, and then to be up 14, nothing at home. And then to well, gag it, like to gag it, like that made loose, a good point when he was on the pick show, because his thing was, if they like Mark Stoops, none of that's going to bother anybody. If they don't like Mark Stoops, and he's talking about the, the Kentucky players, right? It could cause a, a cascade, and and some stuff could start rolling downhill, and that is what transpired to be happening. Yeah. So that maybe maybe not. Maybe it's just one bad game, but that didn't look good at all. And Kentucky will have to get things turned around. Uh, we're I know we're bouncing around, but look, I do want to go back to the Pac-12 because in our earlier edition of this. We had mentioned oh, yeah. UCLA as a potential Pac-12 spoiler because they don't play Oregon or Washington. I don't think that's going to happen now because Oregon State handed the Bruins their second conference loss in Corvallis. 36-24, uh, that defense made Dante Moore's life fairly miserable. Yeah, I, I will say I was dead wrong just earlier in this show about – UCLA potentially being a Pac-12 spoiler, but I did caveat that point, Andy, uh, with I am concerned because they have a freshman quarterback who is turnover prone. And <laughs> there you go. Old, three picks. Uh, yeah, Dante Moore again. You know he may be it next season in the Big Ten when you know when he you know has more seasoning and and whatnot. But he has been just a turnover machine uh thus far in in 2023 he, he basically cost them the game against utah he threw a pick six again last weekend even though they you know won uh against wazoo and then tonight he was just awful and the, oregon state just i mean they, they they housed him and that's a big win and now the beavers maybe the beavers take that place as the potential spoiler you yeah. know because you don't know what you're going to get on a weekly basis from dju but with that running attack, that offensive line, and that defense, they can at least pose some problems 
for whether it is Oregon, Washington, or whoever else they face. Yeah. This is going to be a just incredibly bonkers fun race in the Pac-12. The Oregon-Washington game was everything it was billed to be. It was be- Jesse, this, is, this has just been a great weekend. Because think about this started Thursday night with that incredibly West Virginia-Houston finish. That was just wild. West Virginia, you know, looks like they're going to lose. Then they march down the field. The tight end slips a tackle. They score. And it's like, oh, West Virginia's going to win. Dana Hol- and you got Dana Holgerson, like, throwing his headset. You're like, oh, no, is Dana Holgerson getting fired? Nope. Hail Mary. They win. Dana needed a prayer, and he got it. Unbelievable. And then you go to Friday night. So, Alec A.O. Manor, I-, I did a story on him for The Athletic. And my old job, when he was a recruit, he was a recruit in Massachusetts, and he's from actually Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada, and had gone to prep school in the Northeast because the goal basically was to get him to an Ivy League school. He's really smart, and so he, he was going to a prep school, playing football there, and then after the pandemic ended and they started doing in-person camps again, this guy just blew up. Like he had offers from Tennessee and Penn State and Notre Dame. When I talked to him then, he was still trying to figure out where he was going to go. But you could kind of tell he was leaning towards Stanford because he wanted that Ivy League quality education, but then the highest level of football he could play with it. I've never seen anything like that. He had 294 receiving yards in the second half against Colorado. In the second half. Just mossing Travis Hunter. I want to talk to you about something specifically about that game that I think has been overlooked because it happened so late night. I admittedly, I wrote a, I wrote a piece on it this morning. I was one of the, the folks, hand-raised, that went to bed at halftime and had to relive the second half uh, early this a.m., which was a, a funny, um, you know, outtakes exposed or whatever, old takes exposed because of some of the tweets I had in the first half. Um Oh, that's why you never tweet in the first half. That's the rule. That's true. That's true. And I only had two tweets. I just tweeted a hair on fire and a Travis Hunter tweet, but they were getting retweeted like crazy this morning. But um, what do you think? You know, again, I think this has been a little bit uh, under seen or told because of just the, the, the whole narrative of the comeback writ large. But I wrote about it this morning a little bit. Deion Sanders is, overtime strategy was bizarre and weird against Colorado state. And the fact that he doubled down on that again in this game, and it it was the difference in costing them the fact that he's like, I will take the ball, even though my defense is awful. (laughs) Well, I mean, what do you think about that? Like, like, I I don't think that matters. I really, I really don't think it matters because the thing that, that kept Stanford in the game that forced the second overtime was a catch like you will never see again. I mean, that was like the pro throw catch against Southern Miss. It was you're, that you're, good. You're right. You're not. You're absolutely. It was. It was insane. And I noted that in the P. It was insane. But to literally for the viewers that didn't watch it and have just box scored or just saw that Colorado had you know an all time collapse. Deion Sanders has this strategy where. He takes the ball first, no matter what. And so Colorado scored offensively in the first overtime, even after they had given up this, you know, big time comeback. 
Stanford immediately answers with this insane catch. And then Colorado, again, because they went for it first, has the ball again to start the second overtime. Shador Sanders throws an interception against this defense. It's allowing 36 points per game and just a sieve, you know, on the front and the back immediately gives up a field on the game's over. It's just, it's, it's an, it's, it's an insane strategy and a coaching deal that I think has probably been underplayed a little bit just because of the whole collapse, you know, in yeah, its I, I, don't, I don't think he's going to do it again. You he's don't? Because he's done it. He's done it now twice well, this season. I know, I know he did it. He did it for a reason against Colorado State, which makes both sense. Time, both times Colorado, he said he wants to put pressure on the defense. Yeah, well, the Colorado State defense was collapsing at that point. That his own defense was collapsing at this point, though. Yes. That's that's the difference. Or maybe that was the reason. But Mock Schnell with a really interesting question. And I, I, I saw this tonight and, and started thinking about the future. Anyone see the Kansas State freshman QB tonight? That would be Avery Johnson. Fast and rushed for five touchdowns. Yes, Avery Johnson is lightning fast. And K-State beat Texas Tech 38-21 in Lubbock. They can beat TCU. They can beat Houston. If Avery Johnson is the guy, and I thought it was very interesting because he played all but one series in the second half. Like, he split time with Will Howard in the first half. And remember, Will Howard played very badly in that loss at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. State last week. If Avery Johnson's the guy, this is, remember, true freshman, top 100 recruit. I don't think he was a five. He might have been a five-star. He is a five. He was a five-star. He was a five-star, yeah. Uh, NIL, by the way. A yeah, big reason Kansas he's a K-State. Kid, home. So, he was he, – now, he's really fast, and if you're not prepared for that, which they've used him enough that Texas Tech probably – did work on that during the week, but he is so fast. I'm just saying November 4th, they go to Austin. We we are assuming that Oklahoma and Texas will roll on to the big 12 championship game. And I still, I think it's a very safe assumption, but if Avery Johnson changes the math for Kansas state, that suddenly becomes a much more interesting day. Hey, hey, Texas has got an interesting day next week. They got to go to Houston. If, they do. If a bunch of Cougars fans don't sell off those tickets, that could be a, an interesting game. Another I'm upset. I'm not very the, worried about them against Houston. I'm not I, either. I'm another say that right now. And another up. interesting upset today, though, Andy. Oklahoma State. Yeah. Mike Gundy has done back to back. And Mike Gundy's comments during the week about. Hey, stop giving so much to the athletic department and start giving it to NIL. Like, hey, maybe maybe he is going to change. Maybe he is coming around. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. But that was an interesting comment. I got. I, I want to pose a question for you, though. So, Kentucky's out. Kansas is out. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other teams are out. Uh, Wazoo's going to be out of the top 25. So we got several teams going out. Air Force beats Wyoming. They're, They're definitely in. going in. Missouri beats Kentucky. Definitely going in. Two-loss team. Who would you would who would you have in? Would you put in a two-loss Clemson, who is idle this week? Right. Or do you put our not going to hit the drive for 325 Iowa Hawkeyes? It's got to be Iowa. Because they've only lost once on the road to an undefeated team. It's got to be them. 
Now Clemson's Clemson's lost to two very good teams as well. Right. But and the power ratings all have Clemson still as a top 18 team and what have you. But AP voters don't care about that. So but I, I seriously think it's gonna be Iowa. If I'm just guessing, it's gotta be Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta predict it. I got once we wrap this up, I gotta I gotta finish my AP top twenty-five predictions and well you you go do that because I think you're going to be right. And we have we have discussed this all thoroughly. We got to we'll switch gears. Tomorrow's show, we'll, we'll start getting you ready. Penn State, Ohio State. It's next week coming up. Big one. Alabama, Big Tennessee one. next week. Big one. What a weekend. What a weekend. Got another one coming. Love it. Talk to you soon. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.